listening to Closer Look. We're talking about help for police officers suffering PTSD. Our guests this evening for Closer Look are Rob Michaels, chaplain of the FBI Memphis Division, retired officer with the Norfolk PD, and CEO of Serve and Protect. Thank you, Frank. Also with us is Andy Green, retired police detective from Franklin, Tennessee PD. Thanks, Frank. Tell us a little bit about your career in law enforcement. In 1970, I joined the military police in the Virginia Army National Guard. So we ended up going into a military police unit. I enjoyed it. And I had a friend of mine working with Norfolk Police said, hey, listen, we're hiring. You're an MP. Why don't you come work with us? So I did. I joined Norfolk Police, first on patrol, and then into the Detectives Bureau. Andy? So I joined the Franklin Police Department in 1992. I came up here, or down here, I guess, from New Jersey, retired with 26 years in the department. I've worked patrol, uh, investigations. I've been on federal task forces. I've, I've done a bunch with the uh, Franklin Police. How do you deal with the emotional, the mental and emotional stress while not having an outlet to share what really happens on a daily basis? Well, after a certain point in my career, I came to faith with Jesus. But prior to that, it was a lot of physical fitness and working out. And there's got to be something to dump that that stress into because I did not tell my wife. And obviously at the time I had very young children. I did not tell any of them a lot of the stuff that I dealt with. There were some things that I had to share with her, but most things I did not. And, and then after coming to faith, that was the biggest difference that I could see in the guys who had faith and the ones who did not have faith and how they dealt with those stresses. Are you able to talk among yourselves as officers, or is that something that you really just have to kind of keep to yourself? It depends on the group of guys that you have that you associate with, and uh, guys and girls. Um, there are some departments and there are some groups where if you admit to a weakness, you're kind of cast out and you're, you're put in that other category and kind of excluded. If you have true friends, if you have true brothers and sisters and, and you share something that you're going through, chances are at least one of them has gone through or is going through the same thing. And there's definitely camaraderie. And that, that's the biggest thing that, that I miss about law enforcement is that camaraderie. Rob, tell us about your career in law enforcement once you were on the street. I was trained by guys that came on in the 50s and 60s. Back then, you didn't talk about anything. If you did, like Andy said, you might be set aside as one of those. So uh, one of the things I talk about in seminars is wearing masks. We put a shield up so that people can't really see our true feelings. You don't want to tell your spouse what's going on because that might scare him to death. One of the reasons why there are so many divorces in law enforcement is because the spouse is not trained to understand what their significant other is going to go through because you become somebody different. When I went on the police department, one of my first experiences was a traffic accident where six people were in a car. They hit a large aluminum pole doing about 80 miles an hour and five of the six were dead. I saw an 18-year-old girl get broadsided by a drunk driver, and I heard her breathe her last breath. When I tell that story about the 18-year-old girl, I can hear that breath in my head. And when I had to explain to her parents that the drunk driver was only going to get 180 days in jail and that he got to keep his truck, you see the underbelly of the justice system. You see some unfair decisions, and it hardens you. It makes you callous. And so... I went on as a Christian, and first year and a half, 
let's just say I drifted and was not the nicest guy. And we were out one night, and God gave me a Christian partner, a guy named Drew Grant. He was the chief's son, and Andy will get a kick out of this. The other guys didn't want to ride with the chief's son <laughs> because they're going, mm, no, we'll give him to the young guy. So we rode together. Turns out he knew my wife. We became best friends. We were out one night, and I was getting ready to sock a guy. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, why are you doing that? I said, the kid's a jerk. He said, he is, but why don't you choose a different way? And Frank, I'm telling you, had he not done that, had he not been there, that was a crossroads for me. And I would not be doing what I'm doing today. I would have gone a different path. It's a stressful job. We exist as serve and protect because, for the most part, across the country, the employee assistance programs are not trusted. Now, that's unfair because some of them are good. But everybody hears that story about, man, I went into EAP and I told them this, and next thing I know, I'm getting called in the chief's office. And we've had people call us who have had that happen to them. So we operate as a safety net so they can call us and talk with us and get off their chest what's going on and we can find them the appropriate help. Is there anonymity through Serve and Protect? Completely confidential. We don't talk to anybody. And is it something that's paid for by your workplace then as an officer? No, we're a nonprofit. We don't charge for anything that we do, whether it's the seminars or when people call us. We don't take anything from the first responder. We don't accept any referral fees. We don't do any of that. We spend money to get the word out. Uh, we're spending $25,000 to put on a symposium right here in Brentwood where I'm bringing people in from out of state. We're doing two hours on how trauma impacts the first responder, an hour on how it impacts the family. And that's fairly unique. Most people don't talk about that a lot. Then we're going to do an hour on fitness, looking at nutrition, sleep patterns, and that sort of thing. We're doing two hours on finance. The guy doing that is a retired police officer, and he's a master financial planner with Dave Ramsey. Then we're going to do an hour on faith. I'm bringing my old police partner in to talk about his impact on my life, and then our director of trauma services and her husband will be there to talk about how she even learned about Serve and Protect. It was Christian radio, but she heard what we did and she had to be involved. She's been with us for almost three years now. You're listening to Closer Look. I'm Frank Hammond, Rob Michaels, chaplain of the FBI Memphis Division, retired officer with Norfolk PD and CEO of Serve and Protect. Also with us is Andy Green, retired police detective from the Franklin, Tennessee PD. Andy, tell us about one of your best days on the job and one of your worst days on the job then. Probably the one that affected me the most is I worked a traffic accident one evening. There was a, a drunk driver that hit a vehicle in the rear, spun that vehicle off to the side, caused him to go into oncoming traffic, and had head-on collision with a woman who had two young boys in the car. And at the time, I had two boys that were just about these two boys' age, and Rob was talking about anger that comes over you. I wanted to have a little heart to heart with that drunk driver. And fortunately, I did not. These boys wound up being okay. The one boy had to be life flighted to the hospital. I didn't really sleep well for about a week. A lot of nightmares, a lot of issues. What about your best day? And then what do you wish the average citizen could know about the work that you do as an officer? There have been a few victories, but I, I can think of one in particular. I was working midnight shift and patrol, and I got sent out to a bowling alley to deal with some drunk teenagers and wound up taking a bunch of them down to juvenile. 
And it was probably four years later, I was walking through Dillard's department store where I was working off duty because in case people don't know, cops really don't get paid that well. And so we all work extra jobs and various different things. So I was walking through and I hear from behind me, I think that's Officer Green. And so I turned around, you know, expecting the worst. And I said, yeah, can I help you? And it was one of the young boys who I had arrested, he and his mother. And he said, I don't think you even remember me, but but I remember you. And he told me, and I said, I do remember the incident. And he said, you know, I was walking down the wrong road. I was hanging out with the wrong kids. I was doing the wrong things. And that, that incident, you taking me to jail, made the difference for me. He said, I just got done. I graduated from UT Knoxville, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, from an engineering program that was a five-year degree. He said, and I finished it in four years. And he said, I can tell you without a doubt, I would not be where I am today had you not done what you did that day. And that was that was a big win for me because you don't get a whole lot of wins in this business. And one of those kind of takes away some of the negatives. Uh, as far as people uh, supporting us out there, you know, I know it's easy to say it's us versus them and that's the way it is because nobody likes cops, but that's that's too broad and sweeping a, a statement. There are a lot of people who do appreciate what we do and do stand behind us. Unfortunately, those are mostly the silent majority. They don't speak against the loudmouths. And, you know, you've heard the saying, squeaky wheel gets the most oil. So when you have a half a dozen people screaming for the heads of cops because we're all brutal, we're all corrupt, we're all this, that, and the other, you don't have the rest of the population to stand up and go, you know what, that's not true. And the public has to stand behind us because... We are on a bad, slippery slope right now, and it's not looking good in the future. You know, we know from statistics that somebody somewhere in this country, a police officer, will commit suicide today. What a tragedy. How do we help our fellow officers as we move forward with the amount of stress and pressure that you're facing? As police agencies, we do a poor job in training our new recruits as to the stresses that they're going to face. I think nearly all departments, and I'm sure there's some that do it well, but the ones that I've experienced do not set up support for officers when they go through certain things. There are some agencies that mandate you go through some kind of counseling after a, a serious event, and I think that's a great thing. A lot of cops don't, ah, I'm fine, I'm fine. But the truth is you're not fine because this kind of stuff doesn't leave you unless you process it. And if you can process it and understand it, well and fine. And there's some people who it doesn't bother because you kind of get to understand this is the way things go. There are a lot of people who do not have that skill set and they don't process things well and they keep running around it in their head, in their head, in their head. And instead of finding uh, constructive means of dealing with it, they find destructive means of dealing with it. You'll find alcoholism that runs through uh, police departments in all over the country. Not every department, not every officer, certainly, but you'll see incidences of that or drug use or divorce. So I think if agencies did encourage outside groups like Serve and Protect to say, hey, you know what, talk to these guys. They have no association with the department. There's no communication back and forth. They owe us nothing. We, we have nothing to do with them. Here's a safe outlet for you to deal with. That would be a huge benefit for officers in the future. Rob, as far as substance abuse, we know 800,000 officers abuse drugs and alcohol. 85% of first responders experience PTSD. This is not just police and fire, but the 911 dispatchers, and one in three of them are affected by trauma and emergencies. Right. Also prosecutors. We also work with forensic medical examiners. 
we don't call it post-traumatic stress disorder. We call it post-traumatic stress injury because if you pull up on the scene of a, an accident and smoke's coming out from under the hood, your job is to get the driver out of the car before it blows. So you break the window, you reach in to get the guy out of the car because the door's locked, you cut your arm. Well, you got to go to the hospital to get it fixed. There's a protocol of follow-up. And if you don't do that, you're going to lose your arm. Well, what if you look in the back seat? You see a child back there, and you've got a child the same age as that. Then that's an emotional wound. And I want to draw the distinction because, in our opinion, post-traumatic stress injury is a work-related injury. It's an injury sustained in the line of duty. And that's critical for departments to understand that it's not just somebody that's gone off the deep end. They have been emotionally wounded. It can be fixed, and that's what we do. But you see, if it doesn't get fixed, it leads to the addiction. Addiction is not part of post-traumatic stress. It's a byproduct, and it's not always substance abuse. It can be, like Andy was saying, extreme bodybuilding or extreme sports, taking that risk, putting yourself in danger. It can be pornography. It can be any kind of an addiction, an eating addiction. If you don't have anyone to talk to and you spiral down, you get to that place of no hope. That's why we exist, is to help people deal with that frustration, with that anger. 75% of, of officers have been divorced. Why you think trouble in personal relationships is such a particularly difficult issue for men and women who serve as police officers? Sometimes it's hard to talk with others because they'll spout off an opinion. They have no clue what they're saying. So you just try and not put yourself in those environments. And, and here's part of the issue. What we deal with is not an incident. It's a, an accumulation of critical incidents. I had one state trooper call and he said, listen, I, I, there's this one fatality I can't get out of my mind. He says, but I've seen probably 300 fatalities in my 30 years. That's a lot of negative stuff. And if you don't have that opportunity to sit down with a trauma therapist, and we only refer to trauma therapists, we interview every therapist we refer to to make sure that they understand the job. Because if they don't, guy's going to get up and walk out. He's going to say, you have no clue who I am. We've referred over 5,000 people to get help in the past seven years. Explain why regular therapists aren't effective for police officers. If they don't understand trauma, then they think, well, let's just talk it out. Our guys don't want to talk it out. Um, I had one guy call me, been Chicago SWAT for 30 years, retired, was going to go to work on a little department. They said, well, you need a psych eval. Okay. So, so he went to get a psych eval. Well, the therapist starts asking him to tell him stories about when he was a SWAT leader. Did you kill people? How many did you kill? The guy left the therapist's office in tears. He hadn't thought about that. That was packed away. So we got him with a therapist that did understand trauma. We refer to therapists that do EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. Another process we like is rapid resolution. Somatic experience is a good one, brain spotting, but they're all trauma therapies. We only refer to trauma therapists. Andy, as far as the usual protocol after experiencing a traumatic event for public safety workers, what is that and what's the difference you're seeing that serve and protect makes for those who've chosen to make that phone call? I can go back to an incident when I was on patrol. It was just at shift change. 
I was working the second shift and we were just coming on. Day shift was obviously just coming off. We didn't overlap at that time. We were working eight hour shifts. Somebody came running in and said there was a guy running around the square, the downtown Franklin Square with a gun. And the police department was literally a block off the square. So everybody goes running out of the building. And I was the second car to get down to the square. Uh, my buddy got there first. I had a trainee with me. We got there second. And as as we were coming up on him, my partner was or my uh, my buddy was taking cover to draw down on the guy because he was running around and had the pistol in his hand. He's looking around, looking around. All of a sudden, he turns a gun on himself and drops right there. My trainee, my rookie, was green and looked like he was about to get sick all over himself. So I sent him down the street to direct traffic somewhere else. It got cleaned up pretty quickly as far as EMS getting there, got the scene processed and got everything back open and flowing again. We go back into the station and a lieutenant says, um, he goes, okay, well, you know, uh, we need to talk about anybody needing any counseling for anything like this. And I had come out of the break room and I was carrying a, a can of soda and some uh, bread to chew on. And, and I started wailing and, you know, fooling around, wailing and saying, you know, I can't stand, I can't stand it. He says, you're not getting any time off. He goes, you're still going to work, but you have to go on your own time. I go, no, I'm fine then. And it, it was a joke, but that's that's the way it was kind of looked at. It, it was a casual secondhand, eh, if anybody needs counseling, okay. Instead of going, okay, Andy and Kevin, you guys were right down there. I want you to go and see and talk to these people or those people or whatever. That wasn't made to be done. But to go back to what Rob said about specialists, somebody who deals in trauma, somebody who understands the police work, I'll give you another example so that maybe if that's not clear enough to you, if your car is out of alignment and you need a wheel alignment, you're not going to go to a transmission place. They both work on cars. They both are auto mechanics, but a transmission guy knows transmissions and he's not going to know a wheel alignment. And you wouldn't go to a guy who does a wheel alignment if your transmission is breaking down. You've got to go to somebody who knows what's the, what the problem is and they can deal with that problem. And if you don't, you wind up sometimes making the matter matters even worse. So you've got to be careful. As far as making that call for the first time, what's it like when someone makes a call to serve and protect? You know, um, when they call in, the first person they talk with is our crisis line, our peer advocates. It's operated by Safe Call Now. They're our partner. They listen to them. They're all either active or retired first responders. So they get it. When the person's saying, here's what I'm feeling, they're not going to hear somebody say, so why do you feel that way? How does that make you feel? You know, because they'll say words that you probably don't want to hear. But the reality is they get people that understand it. When that peer advocate's talking with them, if they've got a significant addiction, and they need to go into a treatment center. Safe Call Now specializes in that. They have actually vetted about 10 different facilities around the country for their suitability for first responders because you don't want to put a first responder just anywhere. Generally, you don't want to put them in their own community because they might be in treatment with somebody they put in jail. On the other hand, if they just need to talk to somebody about therapy, they send them our way. They send us all their information. Rose will contact them and say, tell me what you're going through and I'll find the right therapist. And that's what happens. When I was taking the calls, which I did for the first five years, uh, when they would call in and I would talk with them, I would talk with them first to see what was going on. And then somewhere along the line, I would say, now, do you come from a faith background? Because I have the unique opportunity to address their psychological needs 
but also perhaps spiritual needs. Sometimes they will say, yeah, why do you ask? Well, I come from a Christian background. I was an officer, and let me tell you what, how I handle that. And we could pray together and get them the help that they need. On the other hand, if they say, no, not really, then I just move on with getting them the help that they need. One case in point, we had a situation where I was called to do a debriefing. A deputy had committed suicide. And like Andy said, the guys are sitting around, some with their arms crossed, and would you like to say anything? Nope. <laughs> now, one or two would talk. But you see, here's the reality. Trauma affects people differently. Not everybody's wired the same way. Uh, the, the deputy's wife, they said, can you see her too? I said, yeah. They send her in. She had a pink mohawk. She had a leather motorcycle jacket. Her pants were unbuttoned at the top, and she was wearing unlaced motorcycle boots. She sat out across from me and said, yeah. And I thought, Lord, <laughs> this is going to be interesting. But we got to talk, and I followed up with her. This woman actually called me from her husband's grave ready to commit suicide. I realized this woman put on the mask of the Iron Maiden, but she really had a heart of gold. And finally, I convinced her she needed to leave where she was living because it was a bad influence. She lives in Florida, doing much better. She's a sweetheart. But you see, we get an opportunity to not just deal with the immediate, but to follow up and work with people who are hurting desperately, and they want somebody to talk to. We've got our own network of chaplains, about 100, but we selected them because they were either police or fire when they retired and became pastors or chaplains. I want somebody with that particular kind of a background. How, how do you know Serve and Protect is really making a difference? We've helped about 5,000 people. We follow up with them. I've only lost one person. Her name was Maggie. Whoever the, the call taker was gave her my cell number. And my wife and I are standing in Kroger. I was by the frozen meat section. And the phone rang, and Maggie was on the other end. Maggie was the chief of psychology at a prison. She got in trouble. She got fired, lost her credentials. And by the time she called us, she had lost everything. She was addicted to drugs and alcohol. I mean, it was a bad situation. Ultimately, I lost contact with her. So I started doing the research found out she had an obituary. I called the funeral home. I said, what happened? He said, why do you ask? And I explained. He said, she didn't commit suicide, which is what I had imagined. Her body quit. And to anybody listening who is struggling with an addiction, it doesn't just affect the way you think. It deteriorates your brain, your kidneys, your liver, and ultimately your heart just quits. So if somebody's struggling like that, if you're a police officer, a firefighter, EMT, dispatcher, corrections, call 615-373-8000. We'll get you the help that you need. We got to stay together. We're a family. And oftentimes we're a very dysfunctional family, but we are a family nonetheless. And just like we wouldn't leave one of our brothers in a firefight somewhere and head for safe cover. We can't leave somebody who's struggling with, with an addiction, somebody who's struggling with suicidal thoughts, somebody who's struggling in their marriage and their relationship. We owe it to each other to be there for them and help them out of this. If you're struggling, you're trained not to talk about this stuff. It's, it's ingrained in you. But if your wife has no idea what you're going through, how can she understand? And you come home and she goes, I need the toilet fixed. And you go, not now. And she goes, 
I need the toilet fix now. Well, that's how a lot of the marriages break up. You need to have some sort of a signal to say, it's been a bad day. I'll get to it. If you've got a relational problem like that at home and it's because of the stresses on the job and that's 99% of it, have faith in her or him and share some of what you're going through with them and then get that help. You'd be surprised. A lot can be forgiven when your spouse or significant other is made aware of what you're going through, what you've dealt with. When you start sharing some of the things that you've seen and experienced and been exposed to, been forced to be exposed to, and they they have no idea. But you see, you need to learn to communicate with each other about what just happened. Or if, if you're a child of a police officer, learn what they go through. Try and understand their job and what might have just happened. I remember one night we were eating dinner and I was talking to my kids and I was asking a question about who did what. My daughter looked at me. She goes, Dad. We're not a perp. You're interrogating us. And it was the way I was looking at them. You know, you, you learn to unlearn some of those things. But if, if you have a family member that's struggling with an addiction, has anger or rage, has sleeping problems, chances are they've got post-traumatic stress injury or some form of it. Best thing to do is to say, let's work through this together. If you just send the officer off to get help, that's good but the family needs to be involved in that help. So the best thing to do is call our crisis line, 615-373-8000. Go to our website, serveprotect.org. We've got videos on there that explain what trauma is and how you can get help. We've got articles. My email address is rob at serveprotect.org. Email me. I'll be glad to talk with you. You've been listening to Closer Look. Rob Michaels, chaplain with the FBI Memphis Division, retired officer of the Norfolk PD, and also the CEO of Serve and Protect, and Andy Green, retired police detective from Franklin, Tennessee. You can find out more about Serve and Protect at serveprotect.org. That's serveprotect.org. For Closer Look, I'm Frank Hammond.